you join me uh, in my bedroom, uh, the Holy of Holies, as they call it. Um, but uh, I'm just going to pray now and uh, just ask God just to be with us um, as we as we hear the word together. Lord Jesus, would you speak through me this morning? Uh, and Lord, wherever we are, uh, in, in, in our houses, with our families, uh, on our own, Lord, would you open our ears, would you open our hearts to receive the word from you this morning? And may you cultivate that word in us in order that we may uh, act and do uh, on the basis of your word, your word of truth. In your name. Amen. So I was uh, talking to John earlier uh, this week and potentially I might have the record for the furthest away sermon ever preached uh, at Gateway. So I'm quite, uh, uh, you know, quite happy for that particular honour. But I'm always I'm always struck by how different people uh, hear the word and how there can be lots of different reactions to when the word of God is preached. Um, so just a couple of stories just to kick us off. In 1535, the English uh, reformer, Hugh Latimer, in one of his sermons, he told a story of a woman from Whitechapel in London. And a neighbour spots her walking somewhere with great purpose. He asked her, hey, where are you off to? And she replied, oh, I'm off to uh, St Thomas's, the local church. Now, this woman was not known to be a believer. So the neighbour asks, why, why are you going to church? And the woman replied, well, last night I could not sleep at all, so I'm going to go to the sermon. I have never failed to get a good nap there. And then fast forward to 1960s New York, Nicky Cruz, the leader of the fearsome gang, the Mau Mau's, he's listening to Pastor David Wilkerson preach a sermon. He's already beaten David up before, spat on him and threatened his life. But this time, the words of God sank deep into Nicky and he received Jesus into his life. From that moment, his life was transformed and he's lived a life since to glorify God through his actions. So there you can see two stories, two different people, and yet they've reacted so differently to the good news that God has given us. Why is it that when people hear the holy words of God, that some people feel numb or at worst are sent to sleep? But then at other times, the word of God can burn a passion inside us, charge us up into action for the glory of God and the, and the advancement of his kingdom. Well, as you know, we've been looking at and studying at the book of James. And by way of recap, James has begun his letter by encouraging his audience to persevere through trials, which John preached on a couple of weeks ago, and then to resist temptation, which Pete covered last Sunday. And in, in both of those really excellent sermons, what we've seen is that the difference is always faith. True, authentic faith in Jesus Christ is what makes the difference between the words of God feeling hollow or making us whole. Faith is what works. So I've got a question to you. I'm sure you've asked this of yourselves before. What are you going to do when lockdown is over? 
Miriam and I, we keep talking about all the things we're going to do. We're going to see and hug our family. Uh, we're going to see our church family in York, which is what we were going to do before all of this happened. Uh, and we're also going to go to this really nice restaurant called The Smoke Shed in Hoddesdon. Now, these are all great things, but I also want to suggest that God wants us to set our sights higher. And this morning, I'd like to explore with you what God's lockdown exit strategy might be for you individually and also for us as Gateway Church. So the passage uh, we're covering is at the end of James chapter one, uh, and I've entitled my sermon Faith That Gets You Going, because I believe that that is really what the epistle of James is all about. James is giving us practical advice for what to do with this amazing, God-glorifying, life-changing gospel that we've been given. James wants to emphasise the power of the gospel to stir up our faith into a faith that compels us to action, that gets us going. So hopefully uh, you've got your Bibles, like I do, uh, and I'm going to start from verse 18 of chapter 1. If you haven't got your Bibles, feel free to pause it, grab yourself a cup of tea. Uh, but here we go, from verse 18. Of his, that's God's, own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be uh, a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. He will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So that's the passage. And to help us understand it a bit more, I've broken it down into three parts. Firstly, God gives us his word and we receive it by faith. That's verses 18 to 21. Secondly, as our faith grows, it compels us to glorify God through action. And that's verses 22 to 25. And then the last two verses, finally, we also glorify God by our actions towards others. OK, so those three points. So let's start with number one. God gives us his word and we receive it by faith. So as you may have noticed in this passage, James is concerned a lot with our relationship with the word. So firstly, we need to be clear. What is this word that James cares so much about? Verse 18 is James's first mention of the word. 
He says of his own will. So God's own will. God brought us forth by the word of truth. Okay, so the word is also the word of truth. Now, throughout all of the New Testament, the definition of the word of truth is undeniable. It is the gospel, which is the good news of what God has done in Christ to secure our salvation. Uh, as an example of this, Paul confirms this in Ephesians 1.13 uh, or Colossians 1 verse 5. And I'm not going to read these, but feel free to look them up in your own time. Uh, but Peter, an associate of James, he also confirms this in 1 Peter 1 verses 20, verse 23. He says, you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. And just in case that wasn't clear, Peter then says in verse 25, this word is the good news that was preached to you. So in verse 18, James is making the point that we've been brought forth or born again by this word of truth, by the gospel. But there's more as well. In verse 21, James says that that word is able to save our souls. And also that word has been implanted in us. So he could not be more clear. It is by God's grace that we are born again and saved by the word of truth, the gospel that he has implanted in us. God has done all of the legwork in this situation. God has put his law into the hearts and minds of his people, as Jeremiah 31, 33 confirms. But then God's son, Jesus, he fulfilled that law by leading the perfect life and dying on the cross in the place for our sins. Then he was raised from the dead by the power of the Holy Spirit so that we also could be brought forth by the word of truth as his first fruits. That is the word of truth that's been put in us. So what should our response be? Now, this this is the point where many have misrepresented James, believing that he means in order to be truly saved with this word, we need to do something. And then God makes us then right by what we do. But what James is actually saying is revealed in verse 21. He encourages us to receive with meekness the implanted word. So as I said before, God has done it all. Our response is just to receive. The preacher Charles Spurgeon, he said about this very verse that the word receive is the door through which God's grace enters to us. We are not saved by working, but by receiving. And we receive, church, this implanted word by faith. Paul in Romans 10 verse 8, he says, the word is near you. It is in your mouth and in your heart. That is the message concerning faith. But then what response does Paul expect? In verse 9, he says, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So we receive that word planted in us by faith, believing and declaring that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead. And there might be people perhaps that I'm speaking to right now who have never done this before. And even though I'm online and you don't know me from Adam, I say this to you. The word is near to you. The message of faith in Jesus is near to you. Will you receive this implanted good news with faith? 
but also for members of God's church, we too need to continually receive God's word. The word receive in the original language, it's an ongoing action. And in our world today, there are innumerable ways we can hear the good news of God through our Bibles, through our phones, online Christian podcasts, or through preaching like, like right now. Um, but as we've all experienced, sometimes the word can just wash over us. There have been many times like the woman in Hugh Latimer's story when I have switched off during a sermon. Maybe it's happening to you currently. It's okay. I, I can't tell because it's online. But hearing the word is not the issue. We can all hear the word. So James instead gives his believers some practical means for how we can receive this word in our lives. In verse 19, he gives us a triple command. Be quick to hear, slow to speak and slow to anger. It's a, it's a holistic command, a whole body workout. Our, our, our ears, our eyes and our temperaments are all involved. The, the word, the gospel is best received through careful listening and not from unreasoned, angry outbursts. We need to be open to the word of God. James calls us to receive it with meekness. So sometimes this might mean, church, that we need to control our urge sometimes to argue with God. And instead, we need to carefully consider what he has to say, even when this is difficult. James also commands us to put away all filthiness so that that might mean sometimes we need to get rid of bad things that displease God, which the Bible calls sin. And in doing all of these things, like a seed, that implanted word of God in us will start to cultivate our faith and our faith will grow. This is not just the key message of James. Paul, for example, says to the Ephesians in Ephesians 1 verse 15, I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus. So the Ephesians have received the word. But then Paul prays in verses 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. Do you see, the Ephesians already believe in Jesus, but Paul wants them to know more. Are we taking the time to consider what the gospel means to us? Do we meditate on it? Do we give thanks to God for it? That's why we prize the preaching of the word of truth at Gateway, because God has more things in store for you as his believers to hear and understand about his great plan and so many more things to fire your faith into action. So that's number one. God gives us his word of truth and we receive it by faith. Number two, as our faith grows, it compels us to glorify God through action. The crux of this passage, perhaps the crux of James's entire letter, is verse 22 of chapter one. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Here, James, he helpfully breaks into a parable and he makes a contrast between two people. Both have heard the word of God, 
but one has received the word by faith and the other has not. So first, the one who has only heard the word. James says that they have deceived themselves. Why is that? Well, as we've seen from the previous point, if they haven't received the word, then they're not born again by the word. Their souls are not saved by the word. And James compares this person to a man who looks in a mirror and then leaves and foolishly forgets his face. Mirrors uh, of the ancient world, they were used for, for toiletry purposes, so making sure your face, face was clean. Uh, and they were made of uh, a polished bronze or, or copper. So actually, they were quite dim and warped. They're not like our mirrors today. You had to study your face quite hard when checking for dirt. So as the first man looks intently into the mirror, James says that he sees his natural face. The original language calls it the face of his genesis. So when he looks into the mirror, he sees that he is created in God's own image. But this mirror also shows up other things, things that this man may not like. Perhaps he sees some dirt on his face or blemishes. I know that more than once I have looked into a mirror and not liked what I have seen. But rather than receiving what he sees in the mirror and acting upon this information, this man foolishly leaves and forgets all about it. Maybe he thought, that'll do. I don't look that bad. I've only got a bit of bed hair. I've only got a little dirt on my face. It's fine. I can go out like this. But what he has done is he's forgotten his face bears the image of a holy God. And that in doing that, in walking away with dirt on his face, not doing anything about it, he is profaning what is holy. But the second person, the second person is someone who has looked into the word and received it by faith. John said uh, a couple of weeks, weeks ago in his preach, faith changes how you see yourself. As this person looks into the word, which James calls here the perfect law of liberty, it does exactly that. It sets us free. It liberates us. Like the mirror, it shows us our blemishes, yes. It shows us our sin. But it also shows us that we can't get clean by our own actions. We are only clean by the gift of God obtained through the blood of Jesus. Ephesians 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this, this is not from yourselves, it is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And as we look into that perfect, flawless mirror of the word of God, we discover that we are the reflected image of God. And there is only one response to that. Ephesians 2 again this time, uh, verse 10. When we realise, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. As the second person, as he receives the word by faith, James says they become a doer who acts. And the theologian um, Tom Schreiner, he puts it like this, doing the word is not a root of faith, it is a fruit of faith. I'll say that again. 
Doing the word is not a root of faith. It is a fruit of faith. As we become doers of the word, active in our faith, two things happen. More and more, our faces, our lives will reflect the glory of God, the mirrored image of God. And as the end of verse 25 testifies, when we do this, when we glorify God, we will be blessed in our doing. At this point, I just want to take a moment away from the passage. I just want to consider James himself, the close relative of Jesus, probably his half brother. As a Jew in Palestine, James grew up hearing the word of the law read every day. But he also grew up with Jesus, the Messiah, the fulfillment of the law. And yet during Jesus's life on earth, the only recorded experiences we have of Jesus's brothers is when they are showing their lack of faith. So in John 7, for example, James and Jesus's other brothers, they're pushing Jesus to perform signs because, as verse five says in John 7, even his own brothers did not believe in him. They hadn't received the words of Jesus. Elsewhere in the Gospels, James is with Jesus's mother and other brothers waiting outside of a house to speak to Jesus, who is addressing a large crowd. Again, James is not interested in receiving the words of Jesus. The Gospel of Mark records that they wanted to stop Jesus. They said he is out of his mind. So a messenger tells Jesus that his mother and brothers are waiting for him. And Jesus responds by pointing to his disciples, the ones who do hear and the ones who do receive his words. And he says to them, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, the Gospels, they don't give a further account of what happens, but imagine the thoughts and feelings of James as the messenger comes back to tell him that Jesus counts his disciples more highly than his own family. But James does know what it's like to go from a casual hearer of the word to a man of authentic faith. The Bible doesn't record when James came to faith, but I'd like to hypothesize that when it happened, it was a light bulb moment. All of the occasions that he listened to Jesus and did nothing in response. All of the time he had spent with Jesus, not realizing that as he was looking into the eyes of Jesus, he was seeing the mirrored glory of God in heaven. Perhaps then he remembered that incident waiting outside a house when the messenger told him the words of Jesus. And what else Jesus said? For whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Maybe then he recalled Jesus's words at the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And then suddenly it all clicks into place for James. Once James truly received the implanted word by his faith, he was a changed man. We can see that transformation in Acts. He rises to lead the main church in Jerusalem with Simon Peter. And church tradition reported that the knees of the transformed James were hardened like those of a camel because of the enormous amount of time spent in prayer before God. James realised that during Jesus's time on earth, he had missed the chance to spend up close 
and personal time with the living God. And he wasn't going to waste any more time. He received the implanted word and he acted on it in faith. So that's number two. Our faith, when cultivated, when grown, will compel us to action. So finally, number three, we also glorify God by our actions towards others. And that's the final two verses. As we hear the word and as we receive it by faith, we understand that our chief purpose on earth, our sole aim is to glorify God with our lives. This is not an abstract concept, though. Our genuine faith in Christ has practical consequences for us on earth. And as we receive more of the word of God, remember, it's a continual action. God gives us more of his heart. And God's heart is not just for you. It is also for other people. So our glorifying of God and the blessing to us that comes from that, it's not a, a vertical relationship. It's horizontal as well. God directs our doing towards others. And James offers uh, a few ways we can do that in verses 26 and 27. Uh, again, he uses a contrast. Those who have a worthless religion and those who have a pure and undefiled religion. According to James, those who have a worthless religion are the ones who think they're religious, but they can't keep hold of their tongue. Again, deceiving themselves because their hearts have not received the word. And Jesus said this as well, out of the overflow of our hearts, the mouth speaks. And if our hearts don't truly have the word of truth, how can we hope to speak truth into people's lives? All of us, church, we need to watch out because I think there are people in the public arena who masquerade as religious people. But all they're interested in doing is puffing themselves up with their words. Now, we, we can't test the authenticity of their faith by their hearts. Only God can see their hearts. But we can test it by what they do. Are they showing a care and compassion for vulnerable people, using their resources and their influence? Or are they profiting for themselves? Uh, I'd encourage you, for example, uh, to check out um, the Instagram account. This is for the kids. Uh, Preachers in Sneakers, for example, uh, and that which exposes famous megachurch preachers. They've got hundreds, thousands of believers, but it exposes them for how much they spend on designer clothes and image, which is a lot. That is not the reflected image of our God. But James, he gives us a different definition of religion, one that I think we as Christians, we need to reclaim in our doing of the word. We need to reclaim that word religion, because for God, pure religion is two things. It's to care for the oppressed and to refuse the corrupting influence of this world. James gives the example of widows and orphans, because in the ancient world, these two groups were the most impoverished. In a, in a patriarchal society, widows were terribly vulnerable. They had no male protector and the inheritance, it went to the male children. Orphans, they were equally destitute because they, had, they, they no longer had a family to care for them. But these two groups are still vulnerable and among the vulnerable today. Church, can we see the heart of God for others in our midst? Pete shared last week that lockdown has shown him in particular his need for other people 
And that really resonated with me, and I'm sure it did with, with all of you too. And as I said at the beginning of this sermon, what are you going to do when lockdown is over? This lockdown, if anything, has shown me that I'm not called to be locked away like a hermit. We're not called to remain uh, on holy hills or in ivory towers. Do you know what the best part of the transfiguration story is? It's the fact that Jesus, after being resplendent in the glory of his deity, rolled up his sleeves and went back down the mountain to the people, to the marginalised. God has created us for relationship with him and with others. This lockdown has given me plenty of time to read books my, uh, and my Bible and to pray. But if this is not with a plan to turn me towards the broken and the needy, then I've missed the point. We need to be in the world. But also social justice is alone is not sufficient for true religion. James says right at the end of verse 27 that we must also keep ourselves unstained from the world. This in many ways, it echoes the words of Jesus in John 17. He's, he's with his disciples and he's praying to the father saying, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. So how can we do both? How can we as a church be in the world caring for others, but then not be tainted by the world's influence? Well, in his prayer, Jesus continues. He says, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. There it is again. The word of truth. So God has given us this word of truth. It brought us forth. It is implanted in us. And as we receive this word of truth by faith and we cultivate it through our prayer and the reading of our Bibles, his word will sanctify us. It will free us from sin and protect us from the evil one. And as our faith flourishes, it will flourish into a faith that gets us going. It will get us going back into the world to glorify God in the care of others. And when we do all of this, we as individuals and as a church will be blessed in our doing of this word.